Let him have this great liberty today. I know he's got a good word for you. Amen. 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 Well, if nothing else, I'm going to get to find out who I am today. I'm loving that. <laughs> That's a good thing to find out who you are. You know, it's been it's been a little while since we've been back. I think the last time we were here uh, was when Pastor Brown and Dr. Brassfield were in Israel. That was the last time. I don't know what the date was or anything, but it's it's been a it's been a little while, and uh, and uh, I, I was kind of surprised I got invited back because boy, I kind of had a, I kind of had a tough word uh, there. I was kind of glad Pastor Brown wasn't wasn't here uh, that day because uh, <clears throat> it was an evangelistic word. But you know, I mean, it was something that was on my heart. You know, we preached out of the the you know the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, and 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 you know Jesus uh, Jesus said. You know, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor is yourself, and the Philistines, or not the Philistines, we're going to talk about the Philistines a little bit today, but the, the Pharisees asked the dumbest question they could ever ask. They said, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> that, was a, that was the wrong question to ask because he, he told them, and of course it ended up being the Samaritan who, I mean, their views were totally, totally different from, from uh, the, the views of uh, of the the Jewish folks and the Hebrews and and so you know uh, but you know he told them that he to, to to love them not just to love them but as their self and so so we kind of we kind of threw a word out there that us conservatives uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to uh, learn to love those old liberals you know if we're going to be able to bring them to Jesus we got to love them. Uh, as ourself and and uh, you know hey it was just as tough as a word for me to deliver it was for for you to receive but listen I'm never going to apologize for the fact that people need Jesus people need Jesus and um, I have just kind of turned into ever since I've kind of kind of been ushered out of, of full-time ministry and back into the secular workforce I'm just an evangelistic type of guy now I mean I just have opportunities that 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 I that I used to not have in ministry uh, connect with people, and I want to tell you something. There is an art to be able to communicate the kingdom of God to sinners these days. And I tell you what, you need to practice. You need to practice, and you need to get good at it. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but time is short and it's critical. And uh, that's not what I'm going to preach on today. I just wanted to kind of bring that up and then let you know today is just going to be a a, a word that is going to be just a real liberating word. I just believe it is. I believe it's going to just liberate folks today. Uh, I'm glad JoJo and, uh, and, and, and Pastor Brown bailed me out because I don't have a, a, a fancy holiday message, even though it's the holidays. I don't have a message, you know, that has to do with New Year's. I don't have some fancy cliche like you're going to thrive in 2015. You know, I'm not going to throw nothing like that out there. Don't you hate when they do that? Don't you? You know, you see a pastor on TV, you're going to thrive in 2015. And then about March, when you take a dive instead of thrive, then, you know, you're mad at the preacher and you're mad at God. And you're like, hey, he said I was going to thrive and I'm taking a dive, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're taking a dive, don't worry. Things are going to change. I mean, things always change. Raise your hand if you're doing real good right now. If things are going real good right now, raise your hand. All right, we got our hands up. Now raise your hand if you're kind of having some challenges. Put them up real high. Get them up real high. Well, I'm going to tell every single one of you, don't worry because things are fixing to change. <laughs> they always change, all right? So what we've got to do is we've just got to stay before God. We've got to realize that he's our shield. He's our buckler. He's the one that sustains us through the good times and the bad. Amen. Can I have a better amen? amen? All right, yeah. Okay, now, 
what I want to kind of kind of kind of kick things off at is is um, I want to start with just a little bit of, just just a little story, and then we're going to pray. But uh, uh, believe it or not, about five years ago, I was uh, I was selling RVs and travel trailers. RVs and travel trailers. And believe it or not, other than being a full-time ministry, that was my favorite job. I just loved it. But when I went to uh, when I, when I went in for my first day, I met the guy that was going to manage me and that was going to train me. And he was just, uh, I, I mean, he was just the prototypical salesman. You know, you know the type. I mean, the typical slam dunk artist. He was a little bit older, you know, and I mean, you could just tell when you came up. I mean, when he started moving his mouth, he was like, this guy's fixing to slam dunk me into a quarter million dollar motor home, and I'm going to be trucking down the road, and, you know, I don't know if I can afford it or not, but, you know, I'm going to have, you know, he's going to sell it to me. I mean, he was that type of guy. And so when he started training me, he, he, you know, he kind of pulled me off to the side. He took a liking to me and everything, and I had a really good relationship with him. I mean, he even took me out and bought me some clothes one day. I mean, you know, we just really connected, and, he, you know, he really liked me, and I liked him. Uh, believe it or not, as much of a, uh, as, you know, as much of a talker as he was, and as much as, you know, he did love Jesus, believe it or not. I mean, it was kind of hard to tell sometimes, but, but we had times where we sat across the table and we talked about the Lord and we just had a great relationship. And I remember the first time he trained me, he pulls me in this, 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 this quarter million dollar RV and he says, listen, some of these other guys are they get, you know they're trying to get all these uh, sales techniques and all these all this all this new fancy stuff you know he said don't listen to none of that he said you just listen to it, so do it the way I do it and he goes on and you'll sell these things he said you'll sell them and he said here's all I do he said I ask the people what kind of floor plan they're looking for and then I take them to whatever you know floor plan I take them I take them to the to the coach he called them coaches he said I take them to the coach and so he, he said, he said, and here's what you do. And I'm pretending like I'm the customer, you know, and I'm following him around. He said, all you got to do is just state the obvious. He said, just state the obvious. He said, you walk him in here, you show him how to open the door. Hey, here's how you open the door. <laughs> Believe it or not, if you're going to have a motorhome, you need to know how to open the door. Is that right? Yeah. Here's how you just open the door. Here's how you open the door. Hey, here's the steering wheel, you know. Just state the obvious. Hey, here's how you let the jacks up and down so you can level the, the coach, you know, when you get on a hill. Hey, over here's how you, how you, you know, here's the fold-out bed. Here's how you pull the bed out so you can go to bed at night. Hey, here's the 50-inch, 50, 50 uh, you know, flat-screen TV up there. You know, you can't watch it while you're driving, though, you know. State the obvious, he told me. And I was like, that just, you know, that just seems too easy. But I just did what he did. And so I remember I got a couple in there one time, and I just started stating the obvious. I just started doing what he's doing and everything like that. And I remember I pointed up to the, I said, and there's the 50-inch uh, flat-screen TV. And the woman goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> didn't even notice that. Didn't even notice the obvious. And also, so sometimes stating the obvious is very, very important because it's not obvious to everybody. Are you with me? Okay, so, 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 so I said the 50-inch, you know, with a big screen TV up there. She looks up there, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe it. You know, look at that TV up there. And, you know, and the husband's over there looking at me going, okay, of course he did it when her back was turned, you know. And, uh, and so today some of what we're going to talk about is just simply going to be stating the obvious. It's just going to be a, a real uh, just, just basic message and a very familiar passage of scripture that you guys have heard the story a thousand times. When I tell you what it is, you're going to go, man, I've heard about 30 sermons from that text. But that's okay. We're going to state the obvious, and sometimes the obvious isn't so obvious. Amen? Let me give you one more example. Sometimes 
when the obvious is, is stated, it can literally change your life. And, and an example for me, some of you may not know, but in 1989, I was a hopeless, helpless, and useless young man. I was a crack cocaine addict. I was freebasing cocaine. I was six foot one. I was an alcoholic. And when I went into rehab, I weighed 119 pounds. Now today, I weigh 210. <clears throat> I had to go to the doctor the other day and told Pastor Brown I weighed 216, but I had my coat on. And it's about a six pounder, so I'm about 210. <laughs> okay, 210. <clears throat> And we started talking about diets, and I've, I've forgotten everything you said. I, I'm going to have to get with you again on that. <laughs> I've done forgot everything you said. I, I wasn't taking notes, you know. I don't know. I'm about to record it or something. But anyway, so I went into rehab, and, you know, it, it was the craziest thing because when I was, I, I remember when my mom dropped me off, and I'm looking around, and there's 39 other people just as crazy and nuts as I was or worse just as sick as I was aware. And I remember I went in there, and I, I had no idea how they were going to try to cure me of this horrible disease. I'm not, how am I ever going to quit wanting to do drugs and drink, you know? I mean, are they going to give me a shot, you know? Give me to get shock treatment, you know? I mean, I, I had somebody told me when, before I went into rehab, you know, they used to shock the alcoholics. They used to put them up with shock treatment. I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not getting no shock treatment. But I had no idea how they were going to do this. So I go in there. And I look on the wall, and they've got the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous on there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm there for a few weeks and everything, and, and I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Now, step one said that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and drugs, and that our life had become unmanageable. Now, that was easy. I had step one real good. You know, I was definitely powerless over alcohol and drugs. It had power over me. I didn't have power over it. Okay, that was easy. And the second part of that, my life had become unmanageable. That was very easy to admit to. And if you'd have known me back then, you would have said, yes, your life is definitely unmanageable. You need a manager real bad. But then the second one really tripped me up. It, it, it caused me to stumble because it said, came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. I didn't have a problem with the last part. I knew I was insane, Shane. I was insane, Shane. Let me tell you, I was insane. And I kept doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results and getting none. But the problem was, is I was raised where I had one side of my family that were atheist, one side of my family that were Christian, and so naturally I was agnostic. I didn't know whether to believe in God or not. And we had some folks in the, in the rehab, I mean, I mean, dog, just, I mean, down and out alcoholics that believed in Jesus and were peaceful about it. Had others that were atheists, and the group was their higher power. That really freaked me out. I'm like, and, and you know, I'm trying to figure this all out. So I'm talking to both sides. You know, I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the people that believe in God and trying to get a take on what they believe. And and I'm talking to you know these these atheist folks over here that the group. You know, and I'm talking to the group. I'm like, I'm like, okay, a group of drunks and drug addicts are your higher power. And I'm part of that group. And I know me real good. I'm like, you don't want me to be your higher power. <laughs> I promise you that right now. You do, not, you do not want me to be your higher power. And from what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, you don't want any of the rest of these being your higher power either. I, I promise you that. They're messed up. A messed up group of people going to be my higher power. 
you know, I kind of knew what they were talking about, but to me that just didn't make any sense. So here I was struggling with that. Everybody knew I was struggling with that. My counselor brings me into the office one day. He sits me down, and he's getting ready to state the obvious. It's going to change my life forever. He sits me down in the chair. He says, Billy, I understand you've been struggling with the step two. You know, you, you've, got to, you've got to figure out a way to, 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 to get beyond yourself because you've proven time and time again that you can't save yourself and that you can't, you know, you, you, know, you, can't, you can't beat this thing on your own. He said, no, I'm not supposed to do this. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. And he looked across the table and he looked me right in the eye and he said, there is a God and you're not him. I said, there is a God and you're not him. I mean, he just stated the obvious. <laughs> and what hit me upside the head so much was not so much that there is a God because I still didn't really know whether there was or not. But I was really sure that I wasn't him if there was one. I was positive of that. Okay? And the fact that he stated the obvious and, that, and, and, and something just went off on the inside of me that day that I'm never going to be able to win this battle on my own. And, 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 and people were only going to take me so far. I started asking some of those atheist people, hey, what do you, what do, you do when the group's not around? What are you gonna? What are you, you know? What are you gonna do if we, you know, if we all die? <laughs> what are you gonna do then? Your higher power is dead. What are you gonna do when, you, when your higher power graduate from this program? I mean, you're just gonna get the next one that comes in. They're gonna be even more screwed up than we are, because they're brand new. And so that day was the beginning of such a such a moment where I really began digging in and I began searching. I began searching. And just to make a long story short, pretty soon a guy invited me in for prayer one night and he began to pray and Jesus just became real. I mean, I just began a journey of seeking, uh, you know, seeking a higher power and pretty soon, bam, I met Jesus headlong. And he, he liberated me, he set me free and I've been drugging alcohol free for 25 years. It's been a journey. And so I told that kind of long story just to kind of, kind of usher in to, to, uh, to, to some of my message today. We're just going to be stating the obvious. And for some of you, you're right where you need to be because you need to hear something that is just obvious, that can just smack you right upside the head and just go, things that make you go, hmm, you know, makes you go. You kind of got to put your bottom lip and shove it up under. Kind of like that. Make you go Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, Lord. We worship you. We adore you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Lord, you know I'm just a... I'm just, a, I'm just a vessel today. I'm just a voice. And Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. 1 John 2 and 27 says that the anointing that abides within us, no other man needs to teach us. Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us, guide us. Set the captives free today, Lord. Remove burdens and destroy yokes today, God. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Everybody knows that story, the story of David and Goliath. That's where we're going to be today. <laughs> I told you it was just going to be a common. I mean, how many how many how many sermons have you heard? Uh, you know, out of out of First Samuel seventeen. I think I preached two. One was called "How to Be a Giant Killer." You know, all the focus on David. You know, and uh, I think I had another one that was called. Uh, um, what was it called? You remember? No, you weren't there. Uh, <clears throat> it was called. Uh, uh, I can't even remember what it was called. 
It was called, uh, see, it doesn't really matter because I can't remember anyway. Anyway, but it had to do with David, uh, Dave, uh, private victories. That's what it was. David having victories in private when he slew the lion and the bear before you have a public victory, which, you know, he came out and, and, and slew the giant, which we're going to see here in just a little bit. But what I want to do, I'm just going to paraphrase some stuff here. And just for, 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 for the sake of time, I'm just going to read out of here. And, you know, if you're a note taker, just take some notes down. We're not going to have a bunch of scriptures up here and, and stuff like that. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to go through here and we're just going to draw a revelation out of this story. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It just basically says this paraphrase, the Philistines drew up their troops for battle. Israel drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Israel on one hill, the Philistines on the other, and a valley between them. Okay, now I'm going to pull my... My wife's going to get me for this, but I brought my remote control, and we're going to hit pause there just for a second. Now, we've paused the movie already. And so, I was trained by by my, my grandmother's uncle... I mean, my grandmother's brother, my Uncle Ray, Pastor Brown, uh, sat under him uh, some too. He, he passed away a few years back, God rest his soul. But, but uh, I sat under his tutelage. He discipled me. And one of the things he told me, he said, anytime you're reading the Word of God, Billy, he said, the best thing you can do is just put yourself in it. I mean, when you're studying the Word of God, put yourself there. And so what I'm going to attempt to do is I'm going to attempt to put you there, and I'm going to go there. And when I study the Word of God, I, I try to uh, heed to his voice, and I try to put myself in the story. And so I'm going to state the obvious. Now we've got the Philistines on one hill. We've got Israel on the other hill. We've got the valley where the battle is going to take place down here. And so we kind of know because of what the next verse says, what the Philistines battle plan was. But we don't ever really get to know what Israel's was before the battle. But we can say one thing. We can state the obvious, even though the Bible does specifically say, but we can surmise that King Saul had a battle plan. Can we just all agree with that? Anytime you got a battle, you got to, before you go into battle, you got to have a battle plan. Okay? Now, we, go, we encounter all kinds of battles. I'm just going to read through this real quick. If you encounter a financial battle, you develop a plan. You get in a financial uh, battle, you develop a plan. You encounter a battle with your health, you seek God, you seek medical science, whatever you need to do, you develop a plan to, to be delivered from that. If you encounter a battle within your family, you may seek counseling or some type of intervention, but you develop a plan. Anytime there's a battle, we got to have a plan. So I'm confident that Israel had a battle plan, but we don't really get to find out what it was. Nevertheless, I'm confident, I'm confident that they had one. Would you agree with that? Okay. In spite of the fact that Israel and we, in the many battles that we face in life, have a well-defined, thought-out battle plan, sometimes out of nowhere, the enemy will suddenly say, watch this. How many of you ever had, you know, I mean, you're sitting at the table, you know, gosh, my wife and I over the, over the past few years, I mean, we've experienced tremendous deliverance in our finances, but boy, I mean, we had some financial struggles. We sit down at the table, we try to develop a plan, an opportunity comes up, and we think it's that thing, and the rug gets jerked out from underneath us. And sometimes out of the middle of the battle, man, I mean, a giant just surfaces. I mean, if the battle's not enough, a giant surfaces right out of the middle of the battle. Has that ever happened to you or is it just me? 
I mean, you're suffering a financial battle. You sit down. You got a plan. It's all laid out. You know, this is going to go here. This is going to go here. And then you show up to work Monday morning and there's a pink slip. You're laid off. The giant surfaces right out of the back. You go to the, you go to the doctor. I mean, you're on medication. You got a plan. You know, you're praying. You got you, you know you've got God's word in your in your in your med, medicine cabinet. You've got a plan on how you're going to beat this. Health. The next checkup you go to, you got a terminal illness. The giant rises right up out of the battle. You got a family issue. You know, you might have a child or a loved one that's having some behavioral issues that have changed. All of a sudden, their behavior is different. And you know something's wrong. You seek counseling. You do everything you know to do. You get counseling with Pastor Brown or Jojo. You bring him in. You know, you get counseling. And then all of a sudden you discover out of the middle of that battle, they've got a chemical dependency of some sort. Something going on. And so all of a sudden, your battle plan that you had, you had it all mapped up, and all of a sudden a giant surfaces out of the middle of it, and it just, I mean, just everything is squashed. Fear sets in, and what are you to do? And so this is what took place here. You know Saul had a battle plan. I mean, we've beat up Saul for years, but I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you right now. If you're just man enough and woman enough to admit it, you've been more like Saul hiding behind the rock than you have David slinging the rock if you just be man and woman enough to admit it. There's seasons in life where we're, going to get to sling the rock and there's seasons where we're going to hide behind the rock and we beat up Saul for years you know because he should have been the one down there you know obviously he should have we stated the obvious right there didn't we but how many times have you just been fearful and when you're like that hey listen I'm here to tell you I'm going to tell you right now today it's okay it's okay because Jesus is in the rescuing business. Jesus is a hero, man. Jesus is always there to rescue you. And if you've got seasons in your life where you just got to hide behind the rock, just hide behind the rock. Your day will come when you get to sling it again. It'll happen. It'll come. But when I look back, man, I'll tell you what, about three months ago I was looking at this and I looked back and I was like, man, I'll tell you what. I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I've been a zero a whole lot more than I've been a hero. And I'm not beating myself up about that. I'm just saying I needed to be rescued a whole lot more than I've gotten to be the hero. I've needed a hero a whole lot more than I've been one. And that needs to be liberating and good news to somebody because Jesus is always right there waiting to rescue you. Always. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's good. We just go home right now, can't we? I got just a little bit more. I'm not going to keep you past three, but I promise I'll have you out here by 3.30. I'm just joking. It's not going to be long. It's not going to take much to, 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 to get this message across because I want to tell you something. Man, uh, you know, the days of being a hero are, are, uh, are few and far between. Few and far between. So this is what Saul begins to experience. He looks up, he peeks up over the rock, he's, on, he's over on the hill there, and he peeks up over the rock and suddenly he sees a shift in the Philistine army going on. He's like, what's going on there? And all of a sudden, the, the soldiers begin to part like this, like a, like a wave parting, and all of a sudden he sees this massive shield that appears to just be moving all by itself, coming through the crowd. 
And he's like, what in the world is that? Well, what we didn't know is the shield's so massive that the armor bearer was shorter than the shield. And the armor bearer was back there, you know, just pushing it along. And he's like, what in the world is that? And suddenly he keeps looking. He keeps looking. He sees the shift going on. He sees the shield coming forth. And then all of a sudden he sees his great big head and his ugly face. Peek up over the shield. And he's like, oh, that's who that shield belongs to. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. At this point, the battle plan Saul had, it's gone. It's out the back door. The giant has surfaced right out of the middle of the battle, just like some battles you may have been in. The giant surfaces right out, and your battle plan, I mean, you're just disoriented. You don't know what to do. And if that's not bad enough, down the hill comes the giant. He comes down the hill. He settles in the valley where the battle's to take place. He stands there, and he begins to issue a challenge. Well, you know, you know the story. I'm stating the obvious right now, right? Isn't it great when you can just state the obvious and it's just, just slapping you right upside the head? He stands down in the valley and he issues a challenge. He says, hey, send your best warrior down here to take me on. And if he wins, we'll serve you. But if I win, Israel's going to be slave to the Philistines. All right, <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> We're going to pause that movie again. Now, here's the one thing that was a detriment with Uncle Ray telling me that I needed to put myself in the stories. The tendency that I have anytime I put myself in a Bible story is I tend to want to change it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> have you ever done that? Like in the story of Joseph, you know, you see him, you're in the, you're kind of, you're kind of just off the side. You're in the movie. You're not the star of the movie, but you're just kind of in there. And Joseph has this dream and whoo, you know, and he's got this coat of many colors and everything. And all of a sudden you kind of know what he's getting ready to do. He's kind of walking towards his brother. And you're like, he's getting ready to go tell his brothers about that dream. And you just want to run over and stop him. You know, don't go tell them that. Are you stupid? I mean, you know, we can figure out, God can figure out, you know, a smoother way to get you to Egypt. You know what I'm saying? But no. You know, he goes and he tells his brothers, it's going to be rough on you if you tell them. And, and it was, wasn't it? But unfortunately, you know, I wasn't in the movie. <laughs> and so I placed myself in the movie here and I want to hit pause real quick. And I put myself in the movie, and what I want to do is I want to be one of Saul's advisors. That's what I want to be. Man, I'm sweating, and it feels good. But anyway, <clears throat> so I want to be one of Saul's advisors. So I'm standing over there behind the rock just like he is, hiding behind the rock just like he is. You know, I'm not doing anything either. But I want to run over to him, and I'm listening to this giant down here. And the first thing I want to walk up, and I want to say, hey, first question is, when is it ever okay for the enemy to make the rules or change the rules. When is it ever the enemy's... I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, why are we listening to him? He's like, send one guy down here and take me on. And, you know, he's calling all the shots here. We've got a battle plan, and it's totally been squashed because we're listening to this guy down here. So since when... Does he get to call the shots, or does he get them? You know, get to get to change change everything. Now, here's what I would have done. I said, Saul, listen. Kind of like we were talking about earlier. You know, kind of when you get old, 
you know, and these young guys want to take you on, you can't fight fair anymore. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was on the, I was on the pipeline, and boy, I mean, you hear some stuff on the pipeline. I mean, you know, four-letter words, and they're not tool or bolt or anything like that either. And I'll just I'll just let you I'll just let you figure that out. <clears throat> Anyway, this old man, I mean, he was, he, he's in his 60s, this old welder, and boy, I mean, this, this young guy was just picking at him, picking at him, picking at him, you know, and, and boy, I mean, they were, looked like they were about to go at it, and, you know, he was like, old oh, man, you know, I could, I could whip you and everything, and he said, son, I'm going to tell you what right now, I'm 62 years old, and I don't fight fair anymore. I do not fight fair. He said, I'll bite your nose off. Whatever it takes, he said, you know, it's not going to end pretty. It's going to have to end quick because I'm not in shape and I'm going to get tired. So we got to end it real fast. Okay? So who's to say we got to fight fair here? I'm telling Saul, he says send one down. Let's send our 50 best guys down, Jojo. Why do we just got to send one down? Let's gather our 50 best guys, go down there. I don't care how big the guy is. He ain't going to whip 50. Goliath ain't whipping 50. Are you with me? Is that, I mean, is that a good plan or what? <sighs> Unfortunately, I'm not in the movie. Send 50 of your best guys down there, chop him up, feed him to the dogs. Let's go back to the palace and lay by the pool and pluck on a harp and eat some grapes. Let's get this over with. Now everybody look at the one next to you and say, that's real easy for him to say. I mean, it's almost like, you know, have you ever had, you know, you've been in the midst of a battle, you're in a financial crunch, or you've got family problems, or, or, or you know, you've got, you've got a sickness, and some spiritual giant comes up and says, well, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? You know, they've got all these solutions. It's real easy for them to say they're not in the middle of the battle. Now, obviously, we need to read our Bible, and we need to, we need to do all that thing, but let me tell you something. And Pentecostals need to know this, and I can tell you this because I am one. I'm a Pentecostal, man. I don't care what anybody says. I don't really preach like one, but I am one. All right? I like the moving of the Holy Ghost. I like seeing God move. I like seeing God do stuff. But listen, something, some, something, something very important that was revealed to me that will that, 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 liberate you and set you free. You don't read your Bible and pray and fast and come to church to get God to do something. That's hard for Pentecostals to hear. Because it's like we just hadn't prayed through. We just hadn't this. We just hadn't that. Well, does that mean that you don't do all that stuff? Well, heck no. You do all that stuff. You pray. You fast. You come to church. You worship to fellowship with him. That's why you do all that stuff. You don't do it to try to get him to do something. That's manipulation. You know it? I mean, my youngest daughter, I won't, uh, I won't, I'll just give your initials, uh, K-A-Y-L-E-E, -E. but when she was three years old, we're standing at the grocery store, and you know the, the grocery store is like the biggest scam out there, you know, they put the milk in the very back, you know, and you just go for a gallon of milk, and you got to walk by all this stuff, and you never come out with just a gallon of milk, and then you take your kids, you know, and you get up to the line, and they've got all the candy, and where they, where's all the candy at? Way down here, about eye level with all the little kids, and they sit there, you know, can I have some candy, can I have some candy, can I have some candy, you know, sit there and drive you crazy, and so... Uh, my little girl, she comes up, she tugs on my pants and looks up at me. I look down at her. She looks up at me. Daddy, 
You know, gets her lip going and everything. Can I have some candy? No, not today. Billy! I'm like, what happened to daddy here? Yeah, it was daddy, and when I said, no, it's Billy. That's what we do, you know, we get, in a, we get in a battle, we get in a crisis, and oh, we pray more, you know, and oh, we read two more chapters a day, and oh, we do this, we do that. And God knows that's, that's manipulation. But what happens is when God realizes your heart, when you just totally give up and you totally surrender, and you say, I can't change this thing anyway, I need to be rescued, I'm just going to, and when God sees that your devotion and your prayer and your fasting is just simply to be in fellowship with him, when the fellowship happens, that's when God does something right there. That's when a miracle will take place for you. So we just need to be genuinely in love with God and genuinely spending time with him. Quit trying to get him to do something and just fellowship with him and he'll do something. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you this story real quick and I'll cut my sermon short so we can get out of here, but this is an awesome story. This is a testimony. We were in a financial crunch and I'm telling you, it was bad. It was just a little over about around three years ago and like I was telling you earlier, man, every time we thought we got an opportunity, the rug got snatched out from under us. There were times, you know, working 14, 16 hours a day and doing the Michael Jackson going backwards. It just seemed like, you know, everything we tried, just, it just wouldn't work. You know, the battle plan that we had, boom, a giant would pop up. We'd have another battle plan, boom, a giant would pop up. It was just like, what in the world? And I fell into that trap. Well, I'm just not praying enough. I'm just not seeking God enough. And so, you know, and I couldn't even concentrate anyway half the time when I was reading the Bible because I was thinking about all my financial worries, you know, and I'm trying to fellowship with God. And finally one day, you know, I, I, I finally thought I found a job that was going to keep me at home and, and get me working back towards full-time ministry and everything and have enough money to make it. And all the promises that happened got, I mean, the rug got snatched out from under again. And I finally just gave up. My wife can tell you, she, 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 she can remember the day it happened. I didn't have to, I didn't really have to be into work till about 10 a.m. and I would work till about 9 or 10 at night. And so, man, I just finally just said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to forget about all this stuff. I can't do about it, anything about it anyway. Pastor Brown's got a real big house. Things don't work out. He'll let me move in with him. <clears throat> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but I mean, it came down to that. I'm just, I'm just being transparent today. It came down to that. But I'm going to tell you something. God is a miracle-working God. Because here's what happened. I finally just quit trying to manipulate God, and I just started fellowshipping with him genuinely. I just, man, I went out. I, I, I remember this old devotional that I had from Tommy Tenney that I, that I love, the daily break. And, I, and I, man, I blew the dust off that thing, and I started doing a daily devotion, man. And I mean, God just started showing up in the living room and, and just started permeating me. I mean, just started, I mean, I'd just sit there and, you know, cry. And, 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 and I realized I'd, I'd forgot about all our troubles, man. And I was just enjoying hanging out with God. And all of a sudden, the phone rang. Remember that phone call, babe? The phone rang. Not knowing, still not knowing what to do, I pick up the phone, and it was somebody I had worked with on Pipeline up in Pennsylvania, and he offered me a job. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it just wasn't a job. It was a job, first of all, that I did not qualify for. I did not qualify for it at all. And... I'm not going to throw a figure out, but it paid a lot of money. <laughs> it paid a lot of money. 
And I'm telling you what, when they told me how much it paid, I just, I was juggling the, I was, I was chasing the phone, man. I was juggling that thing. And I'm telling you, folks, you just got, you just got to put it before God. You got to quit trying to manipulate. You got to quit whining and crying, coming to the altar. Oh God, oh God, you know. And 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 then when you know, 24, 48 hours goes by and your prayer's not answered, Jesus, you know, <laughs> kind of like Kaylee Bill, hey, Jesus, you know, we got to cut that out. So here's Saul. Let's get back to the story. Push play again. Back to the story, and we're going to be wrapping this up pretty soon. So here's Saul hiding behind the rock, no battle plan. And I tell you what, if you didn't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. This is really what I came to tell you right here. Anytime the enemy, you've got a battle plan, you're in a battle, and anytime the enemy says, watch this, all you got to do is just hang on just a little bit. Because skipping through the mountains, packing a lunch, <laughs> skipping through the mountains, packing a lunch, little snot-nosed kid, here he comes, he's just skipping through the mountains and all he's doing is just being obedient to his daddy, hey, take them guys some lunch, okay, daddy, he's just skipping through the mountains. And so when the devil says, watch this, you just got to hang on a little bit because God's got to, oh, yeah. Well, watch this. And God's well, watch this is way bigger than the devil's watch this. Every single time. I mean, let's think about it. It was, it was, it was, it was the obvious thing for Saul to be the one to go down there and face Goliath. That was the obvious thing. We're stating the obvious today, okay? The Bible said he was head and shoulders above uh, everyone else. And let me tell you, the one who knew it more than anybody else was Saul himself. We can see it by his attitude later on, which will be a, a future sermon. Man, I mean, there's some, there's some heavy stuff that, man, if it just Saul just would have realized God's grace coming on the scene. Sometimes God's grace is obvious and we don't even see it. God's grace was showing up on the scene there in the form of a little snot-nosed kid carrying the lunch, skipping through the mountains, and Saul didn't even realize it. Saul didn't even realize it. So here comes David skipping through, and all of a sudden, God says, oh, yeah, well, watch this. David shows up on the scene. You know the story. We're going to state the obvious. He shows up on the scene, and he, he, he begins to hear what everybody else is hearing. And here is what's so powerful about young David. All he realized that nobody else realized was that he had a covenant with the creator of the universe. He had a covenant with the creator of the universe. Amen. You got that, didn't you, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I want to tell you something. David walked up and he heard Goliath spewing out all this blasphemy and he walks up to Saul and he says, Hey, look, Saul, I'm not trying to be cocky here, but blood was shed in a very sensitive place for us to have covenant with Almighty God. And I'm going to tell you something right now. New Testament believers, blood was shed in a very sensitive place. The son of the only begotten son of Almighty God shed his blood for you and me. 
that we could have covenant. And that even if our battle plan goes, he's there to rescue us every time. Saul's full of fear. Think about Peter when he was, think about, think about Peter when he was getting ready to walk on the water. He's getting ready to walk on the water. He's getting ready to step out of the boat. He looks, you know, they say, Jesus, there's a ghost out there. Oh my gosh, you know, no, it's Jesus. Peter recognizes him and says, hey, call me out of the boat so I can walk on the water with you. Jesus says, come on. Peter steps out. He starts walking on the water, and we know the story. We're going to state the obvious. He does like we do. Hey, we're doing, you know, when I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. But the minute I take my eyes off Jesus, start looking at the circumstances in life, you start to sink. You start to sink. But what did he do? He immediately said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, Jesus immediately rescued him. Now, if I hit pause again and I put myself in that movie, I'm sitting in the boat and I'm saying, hey, you're a fisherman. Why don't you just start swimming? <laughs> I mean, he's a fisherman. You know he can swim. And all of a sudden he sinks and he's like, Jesus, save me. <laughs> What's the deal? If you read John chapter 21, you know, you, if, you, if you got a New King James Bible on the heading there, it says breakfast by the sea, the resurrected Jesus. He's standing on the beach. He's out there. He's cooking breakfast. He says, hey, you know, they don't recognize him at first, but then they recognize him. You know what Peter does? The Bible says he plunges into the water and starts swimming. So we know he could swim. You read about six verses later, not only could he swim, but the Bible says he's dragging a net through the water. And it's got 153 fish in it. Large fish. So we know the guy could swim. So what was the problem? Fear. False evidence appearing real. That's what got Saul. That's what got Peter. That's what gets us. False evidence appearing real. We've only got two options. Number one, we can face everything and recover. We can forget everything and run. And if Jesus is real to us, we can just face everything and recover because we know he's going to rescue us. And Saul was rescued that day. He just didn't like the way he was rescued. I've gotten to the point, man, and I've been through so much. I don't care how God does it. If he wants to rescue me, I don't care if he uses a little two-year-old snot-nosed kid to rescue me. I'm going to say praise the Lord. I don't have to be the hero. I haven't been one very much anyway. I've been a zero a whole lot more than I've been a hero. And thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus that he'll come and rescue you when you need to. So David, let's finish it up. David, he gathers five smooth stones. Why five? A lot of people think, you know, I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of preachers say, listen, uh, uh, you know, you can't put God in a box. We know that. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't make a formula out of stuff God does. But I will tell you this, if God's got a formula, you better follow it to the T. If Naaman only dipped six times, no, he had to dip seven. He had to dip that seventh time. Seven is the number of completion. The leprosy was gone. The healing was complete. David had to gather five smooth stones. In order for God's grace to be present there, the number five had to be present. God's grace, the number of, the, 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 the number of grace, five. He gathers five smooth stones. Why were they smooth? 
I mean, God, Psalm 72, 18 says we serve a God that only does wondrous things. I mean, if he's gathering up jagged rocks, you know, and, and he slings that thing and he misses just a little bit, but, you know, a jagged rock could kind of kind of cut Goliath, you know. could kind of cut him. I mean, a smooth stone, I mean, you had to hit him dead on for it to bury in his head and have the effect. And so everything was going to be precise that day. And I've, been, well, I've watched a documentary on, on some of these guys that, you know, they were showing what, uh, in David's day when they, when they, you know, slung the rock. I mean, they can slice watermelons in half. They don't hit them every time. But, boy, when they hit them from about 25 yards away, let that rock go, I mean, slice a watermelon right in half. But David, this was the difference between David and Saul. David knew he had a covenant. And out of his mouth, he said this. He said, you come to me with a shield and a sword, but I come to you with my expert marksmanship and my slingshot. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew if the Lord wasn't present, if God's grace wasn't present, that the victory was not going to happen. And unfortunately, that was Saul's demise. In closing, you can go ahead and put the, you can go ahead and uh, the worship team can go ahead and come up and, and you can go ahead and put our pictures up there that we're going to look at. Here's what Saul failed to realize. And here's the second thing that I want you to, to take out of today that if you didn't hear anything else. The thing Saul failed to realize that that day is that if Israel is victorious, he was victorious. In spite of the fact he was hiding behind the rock, in spite of the fact he was full of fear, in spite of the fact that he should have been the one that was down there fighting Goliath instead of David, in spite of all that, Saul was victorious that day, and he just didn't realize it. All of Israel was victorious that day. It wasn't Saul's day. It wasn't even David's day. It was God's day. It was God that delivered Israel that day. And I want to tell you something. You may not feel like you're uh, victorious right now. You may, be, you may be in a mess. But I want to tell you something. If you're part of the body of Christ, if the body of Christ is victorious, you are victorious. And your time is coming. And what you need to do is you need to learn to rejoice with others. You need to rejoice with others that are, that are experiencing victory in their life. And then in turn, they can rejoice with you when you experience your victory. The more you get bitter and you get jealous and stuff like that, you're just going to stay where you are. You're just going to stay where you are. Now I want to look at the uh, look at the uh, pictures here. <laughs> this guy right here, he needs to be rescued, doesn't he? And you know, you know, and you know, you know the thing about this guy is he knows he needs to be rescued. Look at look at his posture. I mean, his feet are not getting in that water. He sees the enemy, and he knows he needs to be rescued. The only thing he needs to do, the only thing that needs to be happening in that picture that's not is. <laughs> that's the only thing missing out of the picture there's a guy 
These two pictures that are coming up represents everybody in this room and everybody on the face of the earth. You may be like this guy. You may need to be rescued today and you may know it. I got good news for you. The hero is here. Let's go to the next one. Now this guy, same thing. He needs to be rescued. Would you agree with that? The only difference is, is he doesn't know it. Doesn't see what's behind him. So there's two types of people here today. There's, there's, one, there's one side that, that everybody needs to be rescued. I don't care if you think you're doing good and like we were talking about earlier, you think you might have it all together. You at least need to be rescued from you. <laughs> Sometimes I just have to say, God, save me from me. God, I'm just going to love you for you and you save me from me. Rescue me from me. So both of these guys need to be rescued. The only difference is one knows it and one doesn't. Now there's somebody, some of you in here that when you walked in here today, your belly's still full of Christmas turkey. And you may not have a clue that you needed to be rescued until you came in here today. I tell you what, we'll never, we'll never seek for a Savior unless we know we need to be saved. Unless we know we need to be rescued. Stand to your feet. I'm not going to linger if this message has spoke to you today. If these two pictures up here have spoken to you today. If you need to be rescued and you know you need to be rescued, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd be down at this altar. I'd be crying out to God right now. I'd be asking people for prayer. If you're the second guy, if you need to be rescued, which you do, and you don't know that you need to be rescued, but now you realize that you do, I wouldn't waste any time either. I'd be at this altar. I'd be crying out to God. And it's the greatest decision that you'll ever make, that you'll ever make. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I promise you, you need to be rescued. And there's only one that can rescue you. There's only one. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to God is through Jesus. And if you need him to rescue you today, the altar's open. And just come.